This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. All right, we're talking about what matters most, living a life that's driven by values. And we've been talking about this word values, uh, knowing that uh, whenever I deal with a subject like this, uh, and it's not just me because we have a team of preachers, actually, uh, except for simulcast Sunday, which happens one out of four maybe, uh, we have anywhere from eight to 10 to 12 different people that are speaking uh, this message or the message that's for that weekend on all the campuses. So we have a, quite a, a large preaching team uh, with a lot of great people that know how to bring the Word of God, and that's a blessing for our congregation. Uh, this particular Sunday, it's, it's me simulcasting to the rest of the campuses and also on the online congregation. So I'm just doing the one speaker thing this weekend. Uh, when we talk about uh, values-driven life, I realize that there's a little bit of a almost like a personal confrontation involved because when you talk about holiness, uh, which is a value, or you talk about becoming like Jesus, or you talk about convictions, or you talk about habits, or you talk about what drives your life, what wrecks your life, where have you failed, uh, where have you succeeded, what would you like to do over again? Any of those kind of questions makes a person stop and have to do a little evaluation. And you have to kind of look at your life, and sometimes it's not comfortable, it's not easy to look at your life. You have to peel back some stuff, and you have to realize, you know, things are not the way I'd like them to be. Or uh, I'm probably not facing some things in my life. I really don't want to face them because they're ugly and they hurt and I don't know what to do with them. I come to church to be encouraged. I come to church to lift up Jesus in my life. I come to church to fill the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I want to think this deeply about my life in the services that I come to. I totally get that. I totally understand that. Uh, but being a faithful pastor, I can't uh, kind of paddle around that and never, ever talk with you about the deeper things of your life. It would not be fair to you, and it's not fair to the Word of God. And so at certain points, as you know, I'm a very, uh, I think I am, a very encouraging pastor and very positive. Would you say amen to that? Amen. You would say amen a little louder. Yeah, yeah, that, that helps. I would think most of the series and the stuff that we do is very faith-building, encouraging, lifting up, and telling you, you can do it, you can get there, you can become all you want to become, and Jesus is for you, God is for you, your life counts, and it's going to matter, because that is our heart, that's our message, that's the spirit of the leadership of City Bible Church. At the same time, we understand that if there's enough junk in your life, enough baggage, enough stuff that you don't deal with, you won't get there. You won't be able to succeed in the areas you really want to succeed in. You, you'll, you'll end up taking a detour or you'll, you'll quit too soon or something will happen. And so that's why every once in a while, I think it's good to deal with uh, this kind of a message uh, that deals with what matters most. What matters most in your life? What drives your life? What, what is the core? What's the, what's the centerpiece of the thing that really you're building upon? That's what we're talking about. All right, what matters most? Here's my, my first definition. We've done it every week. Here it is again. Finding and choosing biblical and chosen, uh, proven values. And values is another word for beliefs and, and the core of you. Values upon which I can build my life. Knowing my life will have purpose, significance, and legacy. Now, those are, are words that uh, both the saved and the unsaved, everyone, uh, spiritual, non-spiritual, I don't care what kind of a, a way you describe a person, everybody's interested in this thing called legacy. 
leaving something that's significant behind or passing on something that it's buildable in someone else's life. Everyone would like to say, I live a significant life. I've had an impact, and you know what? If I had to live it over again, I'm not sure I would change very many things, except more maybe in me, but my life's been impacting and significant, and I think I lost a water bottle. Thank you. Oops, sorry. Uh, well, I didn't want the water, but... <laughs> Thank you. You're famous. You're on screen now. Um, okay, uh, so significance has something to do with this word I'm dealing with, and that's the word values. If, if you don't have a value system, you'll be inconsistent. You'll be hit and miss. You'll be wondering what you did and why you did it. And you'll be maybe some regret. I shouldn't have done it, but I don't know why I did it. Well, values kind of helps answer some of that in life. What matters most? Everybody's building a house, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, the two houses, one on sand, one on rock. Well, the rock is the core belief, the values I'm trying to talk about. The sand, if you build on the sand, that's human reasoning and uh, your own thought life and uh, kind of your own thing. And so we went through that. So you don't want to build on sand, all right? Values, how we define it is simple. Critically important biblical core beliefs. Now, uh, again, I'm not just a values teacher. I'm a Bible teacher. So everything I do is from uh, and into the Word of God. And so I'm teaching the Word of God. So it's not just values that you want to collect or values that you would say, I think this is what I'm going to value. I'm giving you more a biblical value system. It's not really starting with you. It starts with the Word of God. It starts with something that was way before you and will live way after you. And so it's biblical values. Biblical values, core beliefs that drive our life and remain consistent in any circumstance. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't take long for you to look at your life and, and for mine and realize where I'm inconsistent. Wherever you're inconsistent is where you're weak in values, where you're inconsistent. Whatever that piece of your life that you can't control or it surprises you or other people or you're just not consistent with your thought life or your, your words or your moral life or whatever it might be, it's that area where you lack value, you lack clarity. It's not like you're evil and you want to be a, a person that doesn't have values. I don't believe that's the, the issue with most people. It's, it's not because you don't want to do right. It's not because you don't want to have a core belief system. It's not because you don't want to be consistent. It's that you're fighting against something that doesn't allow you to be the person you want to be. And that something is the, the generation that's in our universe. It's called sin. It's called a lot of things. But it works against you and it's also living in you, which is even worse. Not only is it an external, uh, external cultural pressure it works inside of you it's 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 part of you and that's why the value system so important when we look at it from a biblical standpoint all right core values I put down uh, this little diagram about core values and governing values because I think you need to at least see it and understand it our, our core values impact the way we live every day your core values could be 20 30 things courage authenticity loyalty purity, uh, persistence. Uh, I mean, you start naming the values that you want to have. Uh, joyfulness, uh, trustworthiness. Uh, there, there, could be, 
there could be 20 or 30 of those that you would call your core values. I, I really want to make these work for my life. I really want to be known for these things. That's your core values. But your core values have a dictating power, in a sense, or a uh, what I call a governing power. It's your governing values. That is, out of your root system, there has to be what should be called, what I call, non-negotiable governing values in your life that never change. You build everything on those values. No matter how you feel, no matter what you go through, they are the governing values of your life. You don't choose them, they choose you. They're the governing values that God has given us. They're biblical. They're already in the Scripture. If you, if you want to take time to really research the Scripture, you will find there are certain things that are non-negotiable with God. They are passed on to you as a governing conviction, a governing value. You live your life by this because it's unchangeable. It will never change. And God's not asking you what you think about it. He's not asking you to agree with Him in a sense. He's given you what is truth and saying, build your life on this, and you'll be a safe person. You can't really debate that. It's non-negotiable. You have to build your life upon it. We call those governing values, what we believe to be the greatest and the highest priorities that we will live our life by. What are they? I put down seven. There could be more than seven. I realize that, but I'm trying just to do a teaching series. So the seven governing values that I would see in Scripture that you can't get around, now, there's ways to interpret what I'm going to say, but you can't get around these. One is the Scripture itself. If, if the Scriptures don't govern your life, what does? If the Scriptures don't have a bottom line, this is the way it is, Frank, and you can't get around it. Well, I don't really like what the Bible says about this area or that area, or I just slide by it and simply don't do it. I ignore it. I know someone will come along and say, you know, the Bible says, but I, it's just too much for me. You know, I'm just doing well to do this much, and I know the Bible says this much, but I can't do it. I just, I just can't wrap my mind around it. Thank you very much. Well, at some point in your life, you're going to have to have the scriptures as a governing value that you actually read, meditate, obey, and you apply, and the scriptures become your counselor. The scriptures become your bottom line for decisions in life. Second is what I'm going to deal with today, life transformation. You got to change. You have to change. How do you change? Third is understanding the God of the scriptures, not the God of your mind, not the God of your tradition, not the God of your church experience, not the God of your philosophy, not the God that other people makes God, but what is the God of the Bible? What does the Bible define God to be? It's not my concept of God, which could be very limited because of my experience and because of my own uh, reading and, and education and background and family and etc. And my concept of God is that God would never send anyone to hell, thank you very much. Well, I mean, it might sound real bold for you to say that, but you're wrong. You're wrong. You know, God would never do that to a person the way you're, well, you might have to read this over again because the God of the Bible sometimes is not the God of your mind or the God that you want him to be. We'll get into that. Uh, fourth is the gospel. You, you can't live any type of life without an understanding of the gospel. So the gospel becomes core to everything. 
Well, you know, I don't think that you can actually say that Jesus is the only way and that really there's a lot of pure, wonderful people out there that, well, the gospel is a very narrow, very wide, but it's very accurate. There's only one way to God, that's through Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the blood, through a sacrifice. Why, why does that even say that in the Bible? That's just one thing about the gospel. And then what does the gospel do to you? What, what is, okay, the gospel. And then I have down a thing called the mission. What is destiny, mission, purpose, these words that we throw around a lot? How committed are you to finding your mission? and doing the mission God has for you, or doing the mission God has already said is a mission for everyone. If you can't find your own personal mission, what's the generalized great big mission in the Bible that God says you should be involved with? It's very clear, and it's in there. We'll look at it. Number six is the church. What about the church? Well, the church is an important thing because Jesus says he died for it. Jesus said he's married to it like his wife. Jesus says that the church is what he will use to kick down the gates of hell. Jesus says that the church is a very important subject in the scripture. And even though you might not like organized religion, church is not organized religion. It's a living organism. It's the body of Christ. Thank you very much. It is where Jesus dwells. It's, it's what we love. It's how we do life together. It's community. It is a huge subject in the Bible. So for a person to lose a value you call church. Well, you know, I don't care about church. I could just raise my kids at home. We read the Bible. Well, of course, you should raise your kids and read the Bible, but you shouldn't do it in spite of the church or away from the church. The church is, is a value. It's it, Okay, I'll preach it later on. Number seven is biblical relationships. What are biblical relationships? Well, biblical relationships defined by the Bible uh, are very clear. They're limited, and they are... Uh, there's ways to get in and out of relationship. There's things you cannot do in a relationship. There's things you cannot do. There's moral things that you cannot do outside or before marriage. Defined relationships are in the Bible. Not only relationship between man and woman, but between parent and kid, between uh, friends, between... I mean, the Bible defines if you want to live a good relational life, if, if you want to follow the value of the Bible... Bible has a lot to say about relationships, and it works. It works for your good, not for your bad. It works, all right? Now, I'm talking about one area today, and that is life transformation. And this is huge. This is a huge thing in the Bible, and it should be huge to you as a value. What do you value? Life transformation, which is what? Transformation brings freedom from sinful, destruct destructive habits, rigid legalism, and hopelessness. It rebuilds and restores broken lives. Now, that's a mouthful. That's a brainful. That's, that's a statement right there. As I look at those words, I hunger for those. I want those to be real. I want that definition to be real in my life. I want it to be real in your life. Transformation brings freedom from sinful, destructive habits. Rigid legalism. What is rigid legalism? I hope I have time to explain that. Hopelessness. It rebuilds and restores broken lives. We value life transformation. Why? Because it's a very clear goal in Scripture. From the beginning, from the book of Genesis, the book of Revelation, you have 66 books and you have uh, representing hundreds of years and represents now thousands of years for us. And as you look at the Bible and you look at the whole uh, kind of the story of the Bible, it starts with us being created in the image of God and having a chance to be just that, 
created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And so it starts with a specific kind of person. It starts with a specific kind of human. That specific kind of human in the beginning was without sin. They didn't have any foreign substance. There was nothing wrong with them. They didn't think wrong. They didn't act wrong. They didn't have wrong motivation. They were sinless. They were without the destructive habits that you and I live with. That's how Adam and Eve were created. So from the beginning, we have a perfect person, and then something happens. And of course, for us, those that understand scripture, sin entered the human race. And you read the book of Romans, it explains the whole thing. But something happened to Adam and Eve. They crossed the will of God. They fell from grace. They changed their nature. All of a sudden, they knew they were naked. All of a sudden, they knew they had different motivations. Sin entered the human soul. And when that happened, Adam and Eve changed. And not only did Adam change, but the whole human race that comes out of Adam is born into a crookedness. We're born into fallenness. We're born into sinfulness. We're born into a way that uh, kind of points us toward a condition that is not good. We're born into hatred, into lust. We're born into lying. We're born into deception. We don't go to college to learn to get a degree on how to cheat and steal and lie and, and, and manipulate or deceive or, or get our own way or self-will or selfishness. You don't have to get a degree in those things. You're born with that degree. You are naturally born into sin. There's something wrong. That's why our whole universe is filled with wars and rumors of wars and hatred and violence and murder and, and horrible things that just turns you upside down, inside out. Just can't believe people would even have a nature to do the things that the humans do. What is that? There's something wrong. I don't care what you call it. I, for me, it's clear, it's called sin in the Bible. And so there's something wrong with the human race, and there's something wrong with every single person born into the human race. We're born into sin, we're twisted, we're not right, there's something wrong with us. And then we come to grips with Jesus. And all of a sudden, someone tells us, let go of your sin, repent of your sin. Well, when you first hear it, you probably don't have a clue what that actually means. But it's the greatest message of hope and transformation that's ever been given to anybody to say to you, would you like to kick the habit? Would you like to get out of being driven by that lower nature that causes you to destroy yourself and other people? Would you like to be free from that thing? Well, of course, but it's impossible. Nobody can be free from that thing. We're all born into it. All but one person was born into it, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ being the last Adam, being the man that now sets a new standard, Jesus was the only person born into the human race without sin because he was born of virgin birth. He was born of the seed of God. He was born with the deity and humanity married into one nature. And Jesus did not have sin, a very important doctrine because he's the only man ever in the whole time of mankind and history and the whole universe that was born without sin. And Jesus said, because I'm born without sin, and you're born into sin, I'm going to bring your sin upon me so I can pay the price for it, so I can give you my righteousness and you can have a new inward heart and a brand new start for life. I'm going to give you what you can't do for yourself. It's called salvation. Amen. Now, when that happens, something changes drastically in a human being's soul. It's a miracle. It's 
almost unexplainable. Even though we throw the words around as if we know the entire depth of them when we do not hardly even understand the word salvation or regeneration or born again or all the words the Bible talks about because it is such an unbelievable hope of a message that I can actually be transformed from the inside out and be a new person. Wow. Okay. I'm continuing the introduction. Okay, we value transformation. Let me say it again on this slide so you can see, again, how the word is used. Because the word transformation, the word I'm using, I'm using from a biblical word. Transformation is the Greek word metamorpho. Well, you recognize it if you know anything about science and butterflies and caterpillars. Actually, I read a whole group of articles just out of interest on caterpillars again and butterflies because it just got my interest again to think about the caterpillar. Do you think the caterpillar really understands that the cocoon will go and that they will someday be a totally different, not, not just a better caterpillar? You don't just leave the cocoon and become a better caterpillar. You become something totally different. Do you think the caterpillar actually understands that when it's going through the metamorpho? I don't think so. It's just a distinct nature for the caterpillar to go through metamorphosis and for that to happen, it to become the butterfly that it had the potential of becoming. I don't know if the butterfly uh, can look back and actually say, I was that caterpillar in that cocoon. Maybe the nature is just so different. All these questions I have. But the Bible uses this word to say, when you're transformed, you metamorpho, metamorphosis. You go from one thing to another thing. And the thing you go to is a thing you can't even believe you could become. You can't even see how great it will be for you to change. But you will be that butterfly. You will be something totally different. C.S. Lewis, one of the great writers, he says this about our change. He says, we're all under construction, that's for sure. Naturally, there's unfinished lumber showing here and there, protruding nails and unsightly scaffolding, but it's still clear that a work is in progress. But the builder has committed himself to bringing this building into conformity with the blueprint. You are the building. You are under construction. You might have some ugly lumber laying around, and you might have some scaffolding, and you might have but you're under construction. And what you're becoming is so beautiful, so wonderful, so awesome. It's like watching a program called Extreme Makeover. When you, when you look at the houses that they make over or the people they make over or things that happen with Extreme Makeover, that's you. You are the Extreme Makeover person. What you are right now, you don't, you don't have to get it. It's the will of God for it to be there. <laughs> you are becoming something way beyond what you could ever do for yourself. And you actually can be that beautiful person you would really like to be, inside and out. All right, here's a scripture for you. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. God can do anything. Would you say that out loud? But I like the way this translation says it. 
God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. That's for sure. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us His Spirit deeply and gently within us. How does He get this transformation? Not by pushing you around, not by slapping you upside the head like some angry parent who's lost it toward the kid who can't believe you still have those crummy habits and you still have that crummy attitude and you just, you just start pushing them around and, and parenting them out of your frustration because of whatever. It's wrong. The Bible says we are not to parent that way, uh, but it can happen, and it's real. Jesus is not that way. The way he gets change is not by pushing you around, not by slapping you upside the head, not by making you feel worse and worse about yourself. The way he gets change, he begins working with us deeper and deeper, gently, moving things around, gently making some course adjustments in our soul, gently bringing things to our attention and says, hey, uh, Frank, Frank, do you know how wrong this is that you're doing right now? Uh, no. Why would it be wrong? I've always done it. Well, it's wrong, and this is how it's wrong, and I'm not going to beat you up for it. I'm not going to push you around, but I'm just going to deeply and gently bring it to your attention. Let's change this. Okay. Where do we start? Why don't you start with acknowledging that it needs to be changed? Okay, I can do that. Got it. Why don't you start with asking me to forgive you for what you did? Never thought I needed it, but yeah, I can see that. Why didn't you ask me to help you change it instead of trying to do this on your own over and over again? Well, I just kind of thought I was supposed to keep trying that way. Jesus says, you know, Frank, all of your willpower does not bring change. Willpower doesn't bring change. If willpower brought change, we'd all be changed. Willpower has a weakness, and the weakness is founded in the wrong nature. And so if you don't understand that, you'll try to get your will up every time and over and over again, and, and it's like making the New Year's resolution over and over again during the year. I won't do this again. I won't say this again. I will never act that way again. I will never have that attitude again. I'm not talking about your willpower. I'm talking about Jesus' grace power. And if you never catch on to that, you'll live a very frustrated life. And you'll live a condemning life. You'll live a life where you can never quite make the grade. And that's why this message is so, so very important. Here's another scripture. 2 Corinthians 3.18. All of us reflect the glory of the Lord with uncovered faces. And that same glory coming from the Lord, who is the Spirit, transforms us into His likeness in an ever-growing
greater degree of glory. Now, the glory of the Lord is really the manifested character of Christ in us. The glory of the Lord is another phrase in the Bible, like Colossians 1 talks about where we're born with the glory of the Lord, and when we get saved, the glory of the Lord dwells in us. It's a phrase that's used throughout the New Testament, and it basically just means the manifested character of Jesus in your life. The glory of the Lord is when Jesus manifests his life in and through you. It's called the glory of the Lord. And here he says he will transform us into his likeness in a ever greater degree of glory. Transformation, now please take this down if you took that scripture down, which I hope you did. Transformation is what? Please write this one word down. A process. Process. It's a process. There's no such thing as instantaneous change. Even when I got born again, I got born again, the event happened, the thing happened, and then a process began. Everything that changes in your life is a process of change. And here's the formula so that you don't miss it. Here's the basic little formula for you. Grace plus truth plus time equals transformation. Grace not willpower, plus truth. But where does truth come in here? It's got to be in there. You don't change only by grace. Truth has to come alongside. Grace plus truth plus time equals change, transformation. Now what happens is we get frustrated with ourselves because we get one of those three wrong. Come on, is that not right? Yeah. It's the time thing. I should have been a long way down the road before now. How many of you feel that sometimes? Come on, how many of you feel that? Am I the only one that's old enough to look back and say, is this all that you've changed? Come on, do you ever have that thought? Is this it? Whoa, I can't wait for the second coming of Christ in the twinkling of an eye. I get changed totally because this process is for the birds. It's taken forever. Forever. Well, change. You don't see the little things that happen where you think nothing is happening. Like... In my own physical body, if I could use that after my cancer journey and, and my body being destroyed. I mean, cancer treatment is kill you and then we'll resurrect you. That's what cancer treatment does. What cancer doesn't kill, they kill with their chemo and everything else. So they, they kill my body. They kill everything in my body. And then I get as close to death as I can medically. And then they try to bring me back with the new cell system. That's what cancer treatment is. And that's what I went through. But with that, I still have some things that are damaged. They're damaged because of the treatment. One of them is my nervous system or my nerves in this particular leg in that foot. That was the first thing to be damaged. And because my tumor was in my hip wrapped around my nerves, so it caused a nerve problem. But also coming back out of the treatments, because treatments I have, I have this problem. And it, it bugs me to death. I hate it. Why? Because I want to 
Like yesterday, I got my bike from my shop, got it all ready to ride again. I'm a cyclist. I like riding. I can ride 30, 40 miles and feel really good about it. That's my life. I love doing it. I can't even get on the bike. I can't even get my leg high enough to get on the bike. And my wife's trying to help me. I say, leave the bike alone, Sharon. <laughs> she has her hand on the handlebar. I said, take your hands off my bike. She says, well, Frank, I don't want you to fall. I said, if I fall, it's the will of God that I fall. I don't want you to help me. I want to see if I can do it myself. And she's still standing. I said, go do something else. Don't watch me. She says, I have to watch you because you're stubborn. You won't let me help you. I don't want you to help me get your hand off my bike. Why? But I couldn't get my leg high enough to get over the seat, no matter which way I did it. And, it just... and I said, you know, this, this problem that I have with this nerve is not getting any better. And she said to me, she says, it's getting better all the time. You just can't see it. Don't you remember you used to have to use a walker? I say, yeah, I remember I used to. Yeah. <laughs> and then a cane with a big footprint on it, the big cane you were using, yeah. Now you went to the other little small cane, yeah. Now you don't even use a cane, yeah. But I can't get on my bike. Really, over a period of August, September, October, six months or so, I've actually changed a lot. And my leg actually has a couple new muscles in them. Kind of, somewhere. <laughs> They're in there. I have to wear a brace. I don't like any of that because I want it to change right now. And that's the way it is with habits. That's the way it is with attitudes. That's the way it is with deep grain stuff that sin has done to you and is doing to you. That's the way it is with dysfunctionalities and hurts and things you can't get around. You would like them to change right now. I want this change right now. And Jesus being so loving and patient with us says, Frank, I'm changing it. But I can't see it. Grace is at work. Truth is at work. Give it time and you will have transformation. So when when you, en when you embrace that, you relax a little bit. Why? Because you don't beat yourself into change. You relax yourself into change. Okay? I guess I am going the right direction. Grace plus truth plus time is not a quick fix. And anyone that tells you at the altar or in a class or anywhere else, you're fixed. It's over. Move forward. Kind of, kind of not. You're fixed with a new stake in the ground to say, I'm heading the right direction from this point on. That's fantastic. But then the process starts. How many have ever gone through marriage counsel with the marriage counselor said, don't you love your wife? Of course I love my wife. Do you tell her you love her? I told her on the day we got married, that's good enough. <laughs> well, don't you want to tell her any more? Well, yeah, I guess well, I could. Well, why don't you try doing it? And so a marriage counselor tries to get you to do the things you know you should do, and then you're accountable, and you look at your marriage and you think, is this really going to change anything that I say to her, okay, I love you. I don't feel it, but I need to tell you. Well, that's not a very good thing to do, but at least it's the beginning of a process that will add reality to your relationship, that will clear up some stuff, but it's going to take time. Okay, 
John 1.14, this was my last intro scripture. And then we were going to start the message. John 1.14, you know what? I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to mark, I think, the most intriguing, challenging, enlightening scripture on this subject that I can find. John chapter 1 and verse 14. I'm going to read from New King, King James, excuse me, the New King James translation. I have a few more. And then you have the verse, verse 14 on the screen probably right now. Yeah. Now, let me skip around from verse 1 to verse 17 and just draw out a couple verses and I want you to notice the wording. Just, just listen to the wording for a moment. John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning, and if you circle any words in your Bible, write in your Bible, underline, follow with me and I think the jigsaw puzzle will help you. In the beginning was the word, circle, underline, the word, okay, the word. In the beginning was the word. What beginning? Well, he'll tell you. And the word was with God and the word was God. Wow, okay, that's a, that's a process right there. He was in the beginning with God. Now, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word he's talking about. John is simply calling Jesus the word, and he's making his point. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Then it goes through a little bit about John. It says that he wasn't the main thing. He was a witness. He was a reflection. Verse 9, he was not the true light, but he was given light to that light. John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. He came to his own. This is Jesus. And his own did not receive him. Verse 12, interesting scripture. But as many as received him, notice, to, get to them he gave the right, the right, the privilege, the, the beginning directional pivotal point to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, verse 14. And the word became flesh. Incarnation. Virgin birth. That's what John is saying. The word became flesh, and dwelt among us. Now the wording. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Underline this phrase, and we will have to take it up next message. Everyone say full. Come on, say it again. Very important word for John. Full of what? Okay, stop right there. Full of what? Is that the end of the sentence? Full of grace? And what? I wish John would have left it out. Because grace is much easier to navigate than truth. Much easier. Matter of fact, if you're gracious to me, I like you. But if you're truthful... I might have a problem with you. Come on, how many hear what I'm saying? Jesus was not half grace and half truth. Not what John says. 
He was full grace, full truth. He was totally filled to the brim of grace and totally filled to the brim with truth. Verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 16, Of his, say it out loud, fullness. Come on, fullness. fullness. Of his fullness. What fullness? Grace, truth. We have all received grace for grace. Verse 17 is a scripture that you could preach on for a very long time because you'd have to use the whole Old Testament. For the law was given through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. Is that what it says? No, that is not what it says. Read it again in your Bible. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. My point being, and we will get there, you can't change with grace only. Takes truth. And in today's world, that's the one that gets us most. We don't like the truth. We like someone to forgive us, but we don't want them to tell us why. We would like someone to point out our weakness, but then we want to say, but don't be legalistic and don't be judgmental and don't bring those things up anywhere because I'm under the blood of Jesus and I'm under the grace of God. Absolutely. But the truth is you got a problem. And if you don't face the truth, grace can't work. Okay, that's it. That's all I'm doing. Uh, go ahead, stand to your feet. You can stand to your feet. I'm supposed to be done.